but we do turn now to the Word of God. And, and here's the thing. Today, we get to finish Judges. I hope there's an hallelujah because this has been a very sobering book in some ways as we've seen how people do what's right in their own eyes, even us. It's actually helpful in these days, I feel like, a little because it's kind of confusing to try and make sense of the world, you know. We usually, and what I try and do is I try and take the morality and the ethics of the Bible and I try and apply it to the problems of the world around me. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. And and I try and evaluate and improve and do the very best that I can to 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 do all those things. And and we do that together, each of us. And and we're going to make decisions that we think are right, and and we should. But what the Bible actually is doing is going underneath those decisions to a deep humility that you and I get to have and that Judges helps us with. Oh, the wonder that we have a Savior. And it's so much more than our attempts at applying principles. Judges hits that pretty hard. We have to have this raw trust in Jesus. It seems simple, maybe too simple, maybe base, but it's actually much better news as we'll get to see today. I'm going to jump right in. It's our rightness judged and God's rightness, which is a gift in Christ to you and me. We're picking it up, the second part of this story that really is one story that ends the book of Judges. It's the capstone, the end. And it started in chapter 18 with the horrible story we saw last week. Oh my goodness. But it's continuing on as Israel is going to battle another one of its own tribes in civil war, Benjamin, over this incredibly horrible thing that the men of Gibeah did. So we won't go back and do that. We're going to pick it up in verse 18 because because there's something for us to think about today. And I'm going to ask a question each time as we go and think about what's happening. The first one is, you're in the right, but you're dying? Think through as we go through. Let this hit your heart. Let's pick it up in Judges chapter 20, verse 18. Here we go. Okay. The people of Israel, it says rose and went to Bethel and inquired of God, who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And Yahweh said, Judah shall go up first. Then the people of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. And the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. So that's the, the flavor, right? Is that, that Israel... All Israel gathered because of the horror of what the men of Gibeah had done. Only Benjamin, that tribe there, is going to defend them, and so they're going to go get them. Should we go up? They say to the Lord, yes, Judah, go. The people of Benjamin, verse 21, came out of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. Whoa. Well, if you're not a careful reader, you go, wait, they, they got that... But backwards, because the bad guys, the Benjaminites, those are the ones that God told Israel to go fight, and the Israelites, 22,000 of them, die. Tuck that away. And the people of Israel went up, verse 23, and wept 
well. They took courage, verse 22. They again formed the battle line in the same place, so they retreated. They went back. And the people of Israel went up and wept before Yahweh until the evening. They inquired of Yahweh, shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And Yahweh said, go up against them. The answer was yes. Do it again. So, verse 24, the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went out against them and and out of Gibeah and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All of these were men who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. And they sat there before Yahweh and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Okay, wait there with me. This is the first question that the text pushes upon us and upon our hearts this morning as we're ending Judges. And it's it's this, this story. Israel went out and they asked God, what should we do? He said, well, let Judah go. I know Judah, they're awesome. They're the, they're David comes out of Judah. Jesus comes out of Judah. And, and, and there they go and they're going to go and they're going to fight and they lose horribly. Well, they must have done something really... No, they did it all right. They're the ones going and asking God. God's giving them direction. And they go, and they do what the Lord says, not once, but twice. And 40,000 people die. So... This is the question that we need to ask ourselves, that how do I think about this? They asked and God directed them to their deaths. Why? Why? You know what it does? It violates my sense of justice and my sense of how God acts. Those Benjaminites are in the wrong. The Gibeites are terribly wrong and horribly evil. And God's people are going to go fight them. And God directs them. And he directs them to go die. What should I think about this? Here's what you should think about this. This is the answer, right? Why? Here's the answer. We don't know why. Let that sink in for a minute. I'm a pastor. I'm here to give you answers. I'm here to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is do this and God will bless you. Go over here and you do. No, here's the thing. God is actually God. He is divine. His ways are His ways, and they are deep ways, and they are beyond us, and we don't understand, but we think we should. And what I think is, well, I can use the Bible, and then I can, because the Bible is like a handbook to God. And then Judges comes along, and a passage like this comes along, which is in the Bible, to make you see you don't understand God. He's deeper than you. His ways are not our ways. This is pushing me, and you two, us together, to be humbled. You know, God says that he He will protect us and keep us, but I get in my head what I think protecting and keeping is. And so then I have a, a, a dear friend who gets cancer, and I'm like, well, the Lord is going to bless that person and heal them, and then the Lord doesn't. Well... 
They must have had some hidden sin in their life. They must have been a judgment. And I make up reasons in my head why something might happen to somebody. And they're not right, are they? Here, Israel did it right. They went to the Lord. The Lord directed them. And where he directed them was for his purposes. And, and I would even dare say, for our instruction. They died. It's uncomfortable. I want God to be accountable to me and understandable by me and always acting by what's best in my judging. And you start to get this niggle that my judging, and maybe yours, is not what it should be. Well, again, you know this. If you've had a loved one die, if you've, if you've seen drugs claim a child, if you've been treated wrongly without justice, and you're the Lord's, his ways are under ours. Oh, he is God. Okay, so that's the first one, just to make us unsettled, and it's unsettling. It keeps going, right? Because next question I have is from the text, is God in an ambush? Keep going with the text, verse 27. I, well, this one I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's really long in these things. I don't want to drag you through two chapters, but I'm, I want to correctly get it for you. It starts off like this in verse 27. The people of Israel inquired of Yahweh... For the Ark of the Covenant was there in those days, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And Yahweh said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. See, all that God says is true. He directed them to do it, and now he's actually saying, I'm going to give them into your hand. Finally. And I realize this heavy emphasis on they are asking God and they're asking the right place and they're at the ark and, and they've got the faithful minister and, 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 and there it is. And so here's the word. And now it's going to happen. So verse 29. So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah. And the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day, and set themselves in array against Gibeah, as at other times. So finally, this third time, right? Where God says, okay, I'm going to give them into your hands. But then what you hear is that they decide, we're going to set an ambush. Was that from the Lord? No. No evidence from the text at all that it was. But they're like, okay, we've got, we've got a stratagem now. Now we're going to set the line like it was before. And that's what they did. I won't read it through with you. You can read all the tactics through the rest of this chapter. But here's what they did. They set, uh, just like they did before. And they waited for, for 10,000 of them there. They waited for these Benjaminites to come. And boy, they are battle hardy. They are ready to get them. They've got those 700 guys, right? That can throw a sling and hit a hair. And so they come out and they start to engage them. And Benjamite, like, like before, starts to win. But they don't know that gathered around on the outside, they have men in ambush. Israel does. And then what they do is they send some of the men in ambush. When the Benjamite army comes out, they send them into the city. And they send up a big smoke fire thing. And the Benjamites look back and they realize, oh no, they've taken the city. And then, and, and, and then as soon as the smoke thing went up, the people who were running and Israelites trying to drag them out and pull the army out, they turned around. And all the people on the flanks, and they crushed them. Like a bug. 
So you have this thing where they lost heart and they're running and the Benjaminites died. And it ends up this way there in Judges 20 verse 46. So when all that fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All of them men of valor. Except for these 600 men, they turned and fled towards the wilderness of the Rock of Rimnon and they remained at the Rock of Rimnon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city and the men and the beasts and all they found and all the towns they found, they set on fire. So what you had is this massive 400,000 army of Israel finally crushes the army of the Benjaminites and they kill them all. 25,000 plus Benjaminites. 18,000 on the field, men of valor, 5,000 on the highways, 2,000 as they were chased, all except these 600 of them that went up and hid at this rock and they stayed up at this rock. And then all the Israelites went back and they killed everything. People, animals, burned cities. Here's the question, right? If God said he was giving them into their hand, and yet the whole action was their ambush was what worked, who really did it? Who really did it? If God says he's doing it, but then I do it, who's right? And I would say in the moment, the Israelites think they've done it. They thought out the ambush. They executed it. It went like they thought it would. And then they went and just slaughtered. I'm not sure that's good, by the way. And in our heart, we start to say, you know what? God helps me, but I do it. We don't say it so boldly, but we really think God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, 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 God said do it. But then I put in the sweat and I put in the effort and then it'll go my way. What really is needed is asking God for help, but then making the best effort because God rewards those who help themselves. And here, that that piece that you might think here, is that true? Who do you believe? If you believe the text this morning, The text said, God said, I will deliver them into your hand. The result was what? They were delivered into their hand. Who did it? God did it. It's fun to look at the means, and sometimes we like the means, and we like to say, how did God do something, or how did he do this, or how did he do that? But the question for you is always, did God say he'll do it? Because if he did, he will. Who do you think is right? Again, it's humbling to me. I don't really like this answer. I I feel like, oh man, I want to have skin in the game. But even back here in Judges, there's this piece that says, if God says he's going to do it, it'll happen. Do you believe him? God does things I don't understand. I don't think it's right, but he's right. It's humbling. God's at work may or may not include me, but it's still all him. That's humbling. Then there's one more right here, and this is this is chapter 21. Wives. Is this right? So, again, now they're not really asking God now, but they've got the cleanup. They've killed all these people, and now they've got to deal with the aftermath, the Israelites do. There's a problem. 
we get to see what it was. Here it is. So now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel, and they sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices. They wept bitterly. They said, Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? You see what they're doing? So so they went up to fight, and I'm not sure that it was right, but they asked God. God said, go send Judah first, and they lost a ton of people, and, and, and then they lost more people, and finally they did. And when they did, they got so exuberant and so angry, they killed them all. There's just a little group of 600. Now they're saying, oh, what a terrible thing that Benjamin's gone. You killed them. So the next day, it says in verse 4, the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in assembly to Yahweh? For they taken this great oath concerning him who didn't come up to Yahweh in Mizpah, saying he shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother. They said, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives, for those who are left, since we've sworn by Yahweh that we won't give them any of our daughters for wives. What? Okay, here's information you don't know. While they went to war, and while they were going to fight against Benjamin, they made all these oaths. Why? I don't know. They just wanted to show their compassion and commitment to God, I suppose. It's not their yes being yes and their no being no. And one of the oaths was, if anyone doesn't come and fight with us, we're going to kill them. What? Why? Well, it sounds kind of good. And then no one's going to give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Why? Well, I, I, uh, sounds good. Those guys are terrible. They do bad things. Not all Benjamin, just this town of Gibeah. But they'd made this, right? They'd made this great oath. Why? They killed all the women and children, by the way, of Benjamin. Why? God didn't tell them to. You see, when they had this passion, they think they had the Lord's thing, and then they stepped and did things, and some of the things were what the Lord said to do, and the Lord said he'd give them. To, but then some of the things they do, it's like, why did you do that? And the answer really is, well, it just seemed right. It seemed to go along with the general flow of what we were supposed to do. They have compassion now? Well, yeah, we should also have compassion, right? And so you start thinking, oh, no, this is a terrible thing, and now I feel bad, and now I want to make this right. So I was working on this right, but then it hurt this, and now I'm going to work on this right. So they say in verse 8, which one of there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to Yahweh at Mizpah, who didn't come fight? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead, to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. Oh, those guys over there, they didn't come fight with the 400,000 other people that went to go crush this little Benjamin. So, verse 10, the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go, strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. Boy, that sounds brave. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. 
And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. And this is their answer. What is their answer? What seems right to them? Oh, those guys didn't come help. So we think that the burden of getting wives for the Benjaminites should come from them. Go kill all of them and just take their young women. Look what they did. We're going to try and answer this problem with making this terrible thing over here. Why isn't the whole land rising up against that? It seems like a solution to them. It seems reasonable. It seems right to try and reward faithfulness, trying to stay right with God, trying to balance different competing thoughts and ideas and emotions. And so they devote a whole town to destruction. You know, God just did that to to Canaanites that had Anakim, these giants in them. He didn't do that. Why are they doing it? Did they ask God? So then, verse 13, the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimon, these 600 men. They proclaimed peace to them, and Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women that they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh-Gilead, but they weren't enough for them. What? So you have these 400 and say, well, oh, we're so sorry that we killed everybody. Here, take these 400 women from these people we killed over here that are also Israelites. But you know what? Their solution to the problem wasn't enough. There's 600 men and only 400 women. How are they going to determine who gets who? So verse 15, the people had compassion on Benjamin because Yahweh had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Making it right. And then the Israel elders of the congregation in verse 16 said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? You have to see, we get to 400, but there's still 200 then that don't have wives. What are we going to do? Well, we got to do something that's right and reasonable. But we can't give them wives, verse 18, from our daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn... Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is the yearly feast of Yahweh at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. Oh yeah, you know what? There's where the ark of the Lord is. There at Bethel. There's this festival, this yearly feast of Yahweh where people come to celebrate and rejoice in Yahweh, to thank Him, to worship Him. And so they commanded the people of Benjamin, verse 20, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man from his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty, i.e. this oath. Verse 23, the people of Benjamin did so and took wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. And they went and returned to their inheritance and they rebuilt the towns and they lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. And don't let the language fool you. This is ridiculous. 
what? So for the last 200, what they're going to do is they're going to take people who are offering to the Lord and worshiping Yahweh and feasting who go out to dance. And that's not evil. That's not some evil dance. They're saying, okay, you hide in the bushes and you steal them. You take them against their will. And you go off with them. And and, and then we'll tell the, the families of the people who just lost their daughter to, oh, it's okay. No worries. Your oath has not been broken. I don't care about my oath. What about my daughter? Do you see it? Here's the question. How do my efforts at rightness work? Because that's what they're doing, right? They're trying to, with knowledge of God, with saying we're God's, and I, I have certain things I'm emphasizing. I made an oath. We made an oath. So let's try and figure out this problem. And they come out with a solution. And the solution is meant to be seen by you and me as, oh, my goodness, when you try and, and, and help this person, you hurt that person. Who decides that? Well, we're doing what we can. So so the answer is reasonable solutions. What they do is they reflect our imperfect rightness. You go take from Peter to help Paul. Steal someone's daughter and we'll tell them too bad. How do you think the women felt who were taken without consent simply for dancing at the feast? It's not right. Doesn't it feel just a tiny bit like the reason why they went to war in the first place? Do do you see what a state we're in? This is Judges. This is what it is. This is the ending of the book. These decisions that are being made in, in light of trying to be right, in light of trying to be honorable, in light of trying to do all the right things, and what you're being shown by the Bible is that your attempts at it, the very best of the people who are God's people, are asking God in His favor. They still can't make the right things that don't show the imperfection of our tries at righteousness. In fact, that's the last verse there, isn't it? Verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Our rightness presumes on God. We put weight on our actions. It's it's never fully satisfying. That's what we ended with here. Right? Here is, in the Bible, we see perfect rightness. Who is he? It's one who didn't think of himself at all, but he perfectly served. He perfectly judges. He sees it all because he knows the future and the past. He knows every action that will ever happen. We know him. His name's Jesus. He is not you. And what we have in the Bible is this incredible message that the perfect rightness of Jesus Christ one who doesn't have any spot and blemish, one whose actions are always thought out, one whose rightness is always true, one who isn't streamed through with imperfection ever, his righteousness is simply given to you. That's the message of the Bible. That you and I, if we're able to sit down and say, okay, I agree, Dax, I agree that my tries just, they hurt people even when I try and help. 
And I can try and argue that I did the best for the most number of people or whatever logical reasonableness I'm going to make in my mind to justify my actions, to judge. But at the end of the day, the judgment that God has is that you are judged, is that I am judged. The law comes down on you and me and says, guilty. The hope that we have, even as we try to do the best that we can, is not that our best that we can gets judged, but that someone who is perfect gives his perfection to us. There is that person. Jesus Christ forgives your sin. And the God, who is the Father in Christ, has provided him that we might be loved and in him forever. This is the message. When life doesn't make sense, it makes sense to God. And the message of judges is that God delivers the undeserving. That's what we've seen all the way through, right? If you take judges, and this is the end of our walk through this book, it has been a humbling journey. And because we're tempted, I'm tempted all the way through to say, well, I'm going to try and be like the saviors, be like the deliverers, be the good judge. And then we see these judges and they're, they're kind of not people you want to necessarily be like. I mean, it's true. Remember Ehud? He was left-handed. That's kind of cool. But what he did with his left hand was sneak in and stick a dagger in the belly of some king. Or then there's Barak who didn't really want to go and, and, and follow the Lord. He meant, hey, only if Deborah comes with me. Or there's Gideon who was so afraid, he kept asking God over and over if God was really with him. Or, or, or there's Jephthah who made the vow. Remember the vow? I'll kill the first thing. Lord, that comes into my sight. And here comes his daughter. Don't do that. And then there's Samson. Oh, Samson. Oh, my goodness. Keep your daughters away. And all the way through, these human people that God uses because God is good and God is amazing and God delivers, that's the message. But don't you dare think, oh, here's the example for you to follow, to be like them. Oh, no. That's a trap. We come back and say, oh, my God, my righteousness so poor. My decisions, even the best ones, so imperfect. What I need is a Savior. What we need is a King. And we have one. Stay humble, precious people. And in our humility, in this amazing thing where the world doesn't go like we think it does, even really doesn't go like you think it should go, oh, that we have this incredible Savior who holds us in His hand, who is perfect, and who never, ever gives up on you and me. Trust Him. Help each other to trust him. This is what it's about. Come in your failed wrongness. Trust the one who knows the future, who loves you, who forgives you. He is yours and mine today. Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this book has been hard. Forgive me, forgive us, Lord, that what we really want is for us to be the Savior. What we really want is for us to make the right decisions, for us to be exalted, for us to be high. So, Lord, today we confess we are low. In in our best thoughts, we judge each other wrongly. In our best moments, 
we hurt as much as we help. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you that you provide for us every day. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, the kingdom of righteousness, with Jesus our King. And Lord, we praise you that you forgive us, that you love us, that you have us. We trust you to do what you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.